TED Audio Collective. I'm Elise Hugh, and this is TED Talks Daily. Today's talk is about weed. Yep. Khadija Tribble is a marijuana policy advocate, and she's been studying it, sniffing it, and sharing it for years. In her TEDx Mid-Atlantic talk from 2019, she weaves the story of marijuana with the structural inequities faced by black and brown people in America. And she offers hope for how changing our attitudes about weed can be a boost for marginalized communities. Support comes from Zuckerman Spader. Through nearly five decades of taking on high-stakes legal matters, Zuckerman Spader is recognized nationally as a premier litigation and investigations firm. Their lawyers routinely represent individuals, organizations, and law firms in business disputes, government, and internal investigations, and at trial, when the lawyer you choose matters most. Online at Zuckerman.com. Support for TED Talks Daily comes from Capital One Bank. With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One NA member FDIC. TED Talks Daily is brought to you by Progressive. Progressive helps you compare direct auto rates from a variety of companies so you can find a great one, even if it's not with them. Quote today at Progressive.com to find a rate that works with your budget. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. What did you want to be when you grow up? It is a question that I'm sure many of you have heard in your childhood. But if your upbringing was anything like mine, it is a question that you heard over and over again. And it wasn't until I became an adult that I began to understand the significance of the asking of the questions by our community leaders and my grandparents. But it was only recently, in the last two years, that I get some true understanding of just how much significance and weight there was in the answer back then and even today. You see, growing up black and female in the South more than 40 years ago, there were some limitations to the answer to that question. Whether real or perceived, there were limitations all the same. And so what I want you to understand at this moment, as a young girl growing up, with all that was happening right after the Civil Rights Movement, All of the advancements of the struggle, things that were meant to push and advance the African-American community, things like the Voting Rights Act, the Fair Housing Act, and affirmative action. And my generation was supposed to be taking full advantage of all of those opportunities. So when they asked the question, what do you want to be when you grow up, it meant something to them. I remember hearing this question one summer at Vacation Bible School. Vacation Bible School is not to be confused with BTU Training School or Sunday Go to Meeting School. It is Vacation Bible School. I'm still trying to figure out who thought it was a good idea to put Vacation Bible and School all together. (laughs) But the first week of every summer, 
during my childhood, I was, it was spent in vacation Bible school. And this one particular summer, there was a teacher. She wasn't too much older than me and my middle school friends. She wanted to make sure that we understood scripture and was able to connect it to this real world question of what you will be when you grow up. And so as my gaggle of girls um, sat around lunch that day trying to figure out what we were going to say, um, thinking back now, it was a really impressive group of girls because they wanted to be things like civil rights attorneys, educators, and doctors. I didn't want any of that. I was going to do something different. You see, I was going to be, wait for it, a thinker. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so when it came time for me to take the stage and share with the entire Vacation Bible School, I introduced myself and I said, when I grow up, I'm going to be a thinker. There was some laughter, some giggles, but it was really the disapproving look on the teacher's face that made me recant. And so I said really quickly, when I grow up, I'm going to be a lawyer, and then I exit stage left. <laughs> but fast forward to two years ago, and I get an opportunity to spend time at an institution known for creating and cultivating great thinkers. Little did I know at the time that there's a ritual at the Kennedy School where students get an opportunity to stand on the famous forum stage and they're given 15 seconds to say what they were going to do at the Kennedy School. And so you know what I'm thinking, right? It's a full circle moment, I'm gonna get it right. <laughs> so I take the mic, I introduce myself, and I say to my peers, to deans, and to the faculty members, that I'm here to tell you that marijuana matters. Not a lot of giggles. Actually, it was actually a lot of applause. But in my head, I'm thinking, Khadija, did you just stand on the premier policy stage and tell these folks you're gonna talk about weed? <laughs> That's exactly what I did. And for the next 12 months, I immersed myself in all things marijuana, day in and day out, reading, talking, sniffing, thinking about marijuana. So much so, my lovely wife, Robin, banned the topic from the dinner table. <laughs> but here's what I came to understand about marijuana. And if you don't remember anything else from my talk, please remember this, that for all of the gains that we were trying to make with the civil rights movement, fair housing, expanded opportunities in education, employment opportunities, building the wealth of the African-American community, the failed policies of the war on drugs single-handedly undid all of that. And here's how we know that. I want to give you guys five numbers. Five, seven, 46, 23, and one. And no, it's not the Mega Millions jackpot numbers. <laughs> See, for more than five decades, this country has waged a war on drugs, which has been tantamount to waging a war on black and brown communities. Millions of people have been arrested, convicted, and incarcerated for marijuana-related possessions. In the last decade alone, seven million. And those seven million people are facing what's known as 46,000 collateral consequences. 
Now, some of you may be saying, if you do the crime, you do the time. And I only have five minutes left, so I can't argue that point today. But I will say to you, at this moment, when 33 states and the District of Columbia have some form of regulated growing marijuana, selling marijuana, consuming marijuana, and distributing marijuana on a mass scale, is it still a crime? I ask because I've met people all across this country who are living with those collateral consequences. People like Keys, a young woman, very energetic about her future. When she left high school, she was ambitious and she wanted to go off to college. But before she could realize that, she was uh, stopped for routine traffic violation. I think it was a broken headlight. And in the course of that stop, the police officer smelled marijuana. And if you're in the state of Virginia, the smell of marijuana is probable cause for search and seizure. The car was searched. There was marijuana that wasn't used. She was arrested, booked, and to this day, she still has a criminal record related to marijuana. Because of that record, she often finds uh, it hard to uh, qualify for an apartment, employment opportunities. She also lost the opportunity to use financial aid to go to school. Some of you might not even know, there are about 26 licensures for entry-level employment opportunities that if you have a marijuana-related conviction, you may not be able to get that license, like a barber's license or a cosmetology license. But the thing that I find so offensive about Keyes' situation is that she has two kids. And there's evidence to suggest to children born to individuals who have a marijuana-related offense, they're more likely to live in poverty. And I ask you guys, is that fair? Is that equitable? Or take the veteran who proudly and honorably served for 26 years in the United States Air Forces. In that service, he actually lost the use of his legs. He's paralyzed. And he uses marijuana for pain management, he also uses it to deal with his anxiety and depression that you can imagine would come with losing independence and mobility. And he uses marijuana knowing fully well that he is at risk of losing the very health benefits that he earned as a disabled veteran. You know, people ask me all the time, Khadija, why marijuana? Why are you so passionate about marijuana? The reality of it is, I feel like this is just a continuation of the, the work that I've done my entire life. I've worked alongside marginalized communities, in service of marginalized communities, in hopes that I would be able to improve their life in some way. But if I'm being honest and frank, it's also very personal to me. Marijuana is a personal issue for me. You see, that veteran happens to be my father retired Master Sergeant Willie B. Tribble. And I will fight for his right and the thousands of other veterans to get the life-saving, and we don't know that yet by research, but I suggest that it could potentially be medicines that is quality and safe for veterans. And Keys, Keys is my daughter-in-law. And those two kids, Titan and King, mean so much to me. And just like my grandparents asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be able to hear from my grandsons anything they want to be. Thank you for listening.
PRX.